Hey everyone, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Skip. I'm Anna, and today we're thrilled to have Simone Sanders with us. Simone is a political strategist and commentator, communications consultant, and is currently serving as a senior advisor for Vice President Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign. She earned her bachelor's degree in business administration from Creighton University, and at age 25, she became the youngest presidential press secretary when she worked for U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders' 2016 presidential campaign. Thank you so much for joining us, Simone. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so to get started, we like to ask our guests about uh, a concept of inflection points or a point where you felt you needed to pivot or change something in your personal and professional life. So would you mind sharing one of those moments with us? Yeah, you know, um, so I, as you noted, I graduated from college at Creighton University. That's in my hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. And after I graduated, I mean, I've worked campaigns since I was uh, in like a a senior in high school and really got into it my freshman year in college. But when I graduated, I was working for a community, I was a community organizer because, you know, I, the first time I could vote was my freshman year of college in 2008, Barack Obama. It was very cool for everyone to be a community organizer. So I graduated and was still doing politics like on the side with a firm that let me work on things remotely. But I was working as a community organizer and community communications manager for this nonprofit in Omaha. But I was also on the board of a juvenile justice group called the Coalition for Juvenile Justice. I was their chair for their Young and Emerging Leaders Committee. It's a national organization. So I have to go to DC for board meetings. And so once I was on a plane, on my way to DC for a board meeting, this was, yeah, on my way to DC for a board meeting, it was like after I was still at the nonprofit, but I was about to go work this governor's race. But I still was like, what am I going to do? What do I really want to do? I thought I wanted to run for city council. So I had been shadowing my city councilman um, in District 2. Uh, he, the, the rumor was that he didn't want to sit in the seat anymore. He'd been the councilman for a really long time. I mean, ever since I've been alive, that's the councilman I've known. So... I'm on this plane on my way to D.C., and there's no direct, there's few, very few direct flights from Omaha to D.C., so you got a layover in Chicago or Atlanta. My layover was in Chicago. On my flight from Chicago to D.C., I was sitting next to this young, GQ-looking guy. I was just like, what do you do? Um, good hair, nice suit, had a little briefcase. I'm like, what kind of young person carries a briefcase? And he is telling me what he does, and he says he's a consultant, he does government affairs, that he has some corporate clients, but he's done a bunch of stuff um, with government, and you know he's going to Europe next week. And we just had a really good, engaging conversation. And I thought about this guy the whole time I was in D.C., and when I got back, and all I could think about was, I don't understand why that couldn't be me. And there's no reason why that can't be me. So I ended up working this governor's race. I was a deputy communications director for Chuck Hassabrook's gubernatorial campaign in 2014. 2014 was a very tough time to be a Democrat running for anything locally because you couldn't utter the words Obama, let alone health care, uh, because it was so toxic. So fast forward right. so many years later, yeah, it's crazy changed, that yeah. all so much has changed. Like now, everybody loves the Affordable Care Act, okay? Um, and I decided win or lose after that campaign that I was going to move to Washington, D.C., that, you know, to my knowledge, city council seats weren't going away tomorrow. But my opportunity to go do what I think I really wanted to do, which was work in national politics, could. So, that you know, there's only a window. So I, the day after the race, we lost. Pete Ricketts is still the governor to this day. Mm. His father owns the Cubs. Fun story. Uh, but we lost. But the day after the election, I got on a plane. I went to D.C., 
And I started working for this consumer advocacy think tank. And that was November 2014. And August 2015, I joined the Bernie Sanders campaign. And so I think the decision for me to move was the best decision that I could possibly uh, make because it brought me to sitting here at this table with y'all right now. So just to backtrack a little bit, you brought up going to school at Creighton um, Blue Jays. and you studied business administration and you sort of just touched on um, knowing that you were interested in campaigns mm-hmm. and knowing you were interested in going into community organizing. I think some people might see business administration. I know, right? It's like, what are you doing with that degree? You know, yeah. people think I have a journalism degree. <laughs> folks would, because, you know, up until about a week ago, I was a CNN political commentator right. and folks would come up to me and, and I would do speeches and they'd say, oh, I'm a journalism major. And I'd be like, that's good, honey. I got a business management degree. I was business management because I had a lot of majors, okay? When I first went to school, I thought I wanted to be in this 3-3 program. Three years of undergrad, your fourth year um, would be your first year of law school. And when you finally graduated, you graduate with your bachelor's, your law degree, and a business and a master, business administration, a master's in business, an MBA. So I was like, I'm going to do that. And then there was this some kind of calculus class they asked me to take, and I was like, oh, I'm not doing this. So then I was, I took a really great sociology class and I was like, ooh, I want to be a sociology major. And then I was like, actually, I want to be a sociology major with a minor in criminal justice policy. And then I was like, I want to be a political science major. And my dad, who was a retired engineer from the Army Corps of Engineers, was like, you need a job. You need a job that, you need a major that will get you a job. Um, but this whole time I was still doing politics and whatnot. So I actually have a business management degree because my advisor at the time was still under the College of Business. And she asked me, um, built, she asked me like basically was I learning anything new? And I was like, not necessarily. I'm just kind of expanding upon what I think I know. And she said, she encouraged me to stay in the business college because it was something that challenged me and to just get all the internships that I could and the things that I thought I was interested in. Um, she said, or I could switch and stay a little longer. So I decided to stay in the business college. <laughs> and I had like 10 internships in my undergraduate career. So I used to want to be a lawyer and I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer at a firm because I interned at a firm for two summers. And I like windows. I like to talk to people. And unless you are the partner, you don't get any of those things. I interned at State Farm. I was their marketing intern. I interned in D.C. That's how I got knew I loved public policy. Um, I worked for Girls, Inc. in their public policy office, and I reported on Hill and Senate briefings, Senate briefings and um, congressional briefings. I helped author some referendum questions for Girls, Inc. She Votes program, which is a program that, you know, encourages young girls in their program to get to learn about the political process and get engaged in politics. I interned in Beijing, and I wrote for a lifestyle magazine company in Beijing, China. China, the uh, winter kind of semester before I graduated. So all of these things helped me figure out that politics is actually what I really liked, affecting people's lives. And I ended up going into communications because um, campaigns are really just, at the end of the day, it's a bunch of people to get in a room and say, this is what we're going to talk about. And then they figure out ways to take that message to you over and over again. It's about building relationships. And I realized that a lot of times the folks that were putting together the message that were the architects of what the campaign was, they didn't look like people like me. They weren't young people. They weren't women. They weren't people of color. They weren't all black people from the Midwest. <laughs> so uh, that's what made me say communications is what I really want to do. So, but I only found that out because I had internships. So I encourage all all the folks listening that you know maybe you right now are criminal justice policy, health, whatever. And you really want to be a sportscaster. Well, go get you a sportscasting internship and get your degree in whatever you need to get your degree in. But go get your internship and you'll figure out if you like it or not. 
So you mentioned just this like massive diverse experiences you had with Crazy. internships, everything like that. <laughs> so many, so many things across the board, different experiences. Can you kind of put us in your mind now coming to DC? You talked about that flight flying to DC, you know, starting out in 2014, doing advocacy work, eventually, you know, joining, joining Bernie's campaign. But how did you see as a newcomer this again, this was only mm -hmm. four years ago. Mm -hmm. How did you see coming in as a newcomer to all of this, this big infrastructure built up? You'd worked on gubernatorial races before, but seeing a national campaign being in Washington, DC, what were your reactions to seeing this entire infrastructure built up? Well, you know, when I, so when I went to go work in DC, I worked for this um, consumer advocacy think tank and I worked for the uh, global, it was, I worked in the global trade division and I was their communications person. And I took the global, I took this job, like I knew nothing about trade before I went there, like nothing. But I was interviewing, trying to get a DC job. Like I'm sure people know for any of the, the juniors and seniors out there, it's, it's tough. Okay. You are like, how can I get a call back? What do I need to do? You're going on interview after interview. And I got feedback from some of the interviews and folks said, look, we really like you, but you need technical writing experience. And I'm like, okay, what is technical writing experience? Well, but don't get any more technical than America's trade policy. So I went to go work for on the progressive side of that. We were actually on the opposite side of the Obama administration, which was really interesting stuff. So TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, we talked NAFTA, all those things. Like those are things that I worked on. And the lady that I worked for was like the trade guerrilla warfare guru. And that's right when it was all going and down. That's too. right when it was going down. So like there's something called a Trade Promotion Authority, yeah, Fast TPA. Track. Um, I was working as Congress was trying to pass Fast Track. So it was, it was very interesting. But I was also working when, like, the TV people were like, trade's not sexy. We're not putting that on television. And then, boom, a year later, everybody wants to talk about trade. Um, but I did that for a while. And when I went to the trade job, it was hard because I knew nothing about trade. I had never, I mean, again, I had worked a number of places. I mean, I interned in Beijing. I lived there. But I am from a town where everybody drives. Like, it was it was a culture shock. Like, it was the first time I'd been around so many people. Like, the cost of living, like, the Wendy's cost more in D.C. than yeah, it cost. Like, right. just little things right. like that that were an adjustment. I remember going to work and I went to a workshop um, for, like, some interns and or in new people in D.C. And they were saying that, oh, in this city, people only wear black suits, blue suits and gray. And I was like, oh, wow, tomorrow's going to wear a color block jumpsuit. Can I not wear that? <laughs> so there are all these things that people are telling me how it's done. And I'm like, mm, I, don't, I don't I don't necessarily think I'm going to do it like that. So it was it was an adjustment period to the point where I had a very rough time at work. Um, everything I would write would come back with red ink on it. And so I just kind of like buckled down and I went into work early. I stayed at work very late. The first roommate I had, I found on Craigslist. We did not like each other. Found a new roommate on Craigslist, and we're best friends to this day. But, you know, about, I guess, November 2014, I started that job. By May, I said, you know what? I have a, I feel like I got a handle on this, but I came to DC because I want to do politics. And so I started going on interviews, just basically cold call interviews. I mean, I met a bunch of people. I went on informational interviews. I went on 27 interviews, y'all. Okay. I went through eight rounds of interviews at one of the Democratic committees, only for them to tell me that I spoke so well. I was a joy when I came in and they just weren't going to hire me. And I'm like, well, why have I been here eight times? And it was three days after my 27th interview that Bernie's campaign manager called me. I didn't interview there. He got my resume from like a political person I worked with, like a campaign I'd worked for a long while ago. And he called me in and that's how I actually got hooked up with the campaign. And I finally um, had a conversation with Senator Sanders. And I went into that, I mean, randomly went into the meeting. Like it was a Thursday they called, said, Bernie wants to meet with you. We ended up meeting. We got in an argument. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not about to get this job. And then we reconciled at the end of the conversation. And then Senator Sanders said, you know, I like you. I was like, I think I like you, sir. 
He said, I think I want you to work here. I was like, I think I want to work here. And then Bernie asked me something. At that point, I had been on, Bernie was my 30th interview. He asked me something no one else asked. He said, well, do you have an idea what you want to do? I was like, oh, yeah. I would like to be the national press secretary. I want to do cable television. I want to be your on-the-record spokesperson. And I want to have a hand in, like, the messaging strategy, just like we discussed here, like like we just did in this room. And he kind of looked at me, and he was like, oh, have you ever done cable television before? <laughs> I said, no, sir. But I do believe I'd be very good at it. I said it with a straight face. I'd never done cable TV. My previous job at the trade organization, I was booking my boss. She was the principal. So I would write the talking points. I was liaisoning with the folks on the hill but she was a person going on tv and i knew my next job i wanted on the record experience and so i knew what i wanted so i knew what to ask for now did i think i was going to be the national press secretary pardon me no i was just like <laughs> i'm gonna ask for this they're probably gonna, gonna give it. me a little bit yeah. of this but i'm gonna ask for like the moon and then you're gonna have to pull me back down to the stars and that tuesday jeff weaver called me back he was like kid I love you. Bernie loved you. He started talking about a phone and a laptop. I said, well, sir, hold on, Jeff. What's my job title? He was like a national press secretary. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and that's how I got the Bernie Sanders job. So I think that it is, because I mean, as a young person, like people always tell us, like, put our heads down, do the work, and your work will be realized. That's a bunch of bull, okay? Because sometimes you can be the best and they still won't pick you. Sometimes somebody else has a better relationship with the people that they're... Somebody else has a connection. Like, there's all these reasons why sometimes we don't get the thing that it is that we want. And so I think, as my mother used to tell me, you know, you have to be willing to throw a party for yourself and nobody else will. And advocate for yourself. And when we are presented with an opportunity, like, everybody doesn't get a sitting United States senator that happens to be running for president, right? That they end up in their office... A year and two years after they graduated from college and the person is like, yo, you want to work here? No, but I everybody doesn't have a Bernie Sanders per se, but I think multiple people have a moment like that in their career. And sometimes it happens young, young in our careers, and I think we need to have an answer. What if Bernie Sanders would have asked me, what, do you have an idea of what you want to do? And I would have said something like, oh, you know, something in comps. I just want to be helpful. Y'all, I would have been the press assistant. Okay, like I'm going to ask for what it is that I want, but exactly what I want and what I feel like I deserve. We can't sometimes we do the thing where we ask for the thing right up under what it is that we want, because what what we really want, we might think is too much. Mm -mm. We need to start asking for the moon and let them pull you down to the stars. Now, within reason, I can't be out here saying oh, I want to be yeah, the right. deputy campaign manager. <laughs> I'm sorry. With what experience, ma'am? What what have you done that you think you qualify for the deputy campaign manager? Yeah. So just, I mean, going off that, so that Associated Press just reported out, you know, talking about your, your position now that just eight days ago from now, you sat <laughs> yeah. down with Vice President Biden in his home. He asked you, he asked you to his house and basically you had, it seems like another one of these type of conversations, two <laughs> hours, meeting. Yes. Two, two hours long. Um, can you just, can you the talk? Associated Press has a lot of information. <laughs> I'm not sure where they got all this stuff. So yeah, so I am um, very happy this cycle that I am advising Vice President Biden's uh, 2020 presidential campaign. I I have met he and his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, who was an amazing person a number of times. And um, it was a process of me sitting down and, ch and chatting with folks from the campaign, of course, the vice president, of course, Dr. Biden, um, kind of just talking, just talking, get to, getting to, you know, know each other. And um, I feel really good about being on the campaign. I They they asked me to come. <laughs> it she, was kind of a like, did you, <laughs> we want you here? And I was right. like, I think I'd like to be yeah, here. Right. And so it was a process. But um yeah, I am with Team Biden. As far as like ask, you know, the ask that you made though, right? We've talked, we've talked about, you know, 2015. You you shot for the moon and you got and you got the moon. <laughs> um, but you know, with with Vice President Biden, you're a senior advisor yeah. at 29 years old. Can you talk about maybe in that meeting things? You
things you were asking for or so, priorities you had? So I think this is just a little, you know, I think it's a little bit different. Um, so since 20, when I left the camp, when I left, you know, the Sanders campaign in 2016, I then when I worked for a convention and then after convention, I thought I was going to get a job on the general election campaign and I didn't. And so honestly, I was sitting in, you know, one of my mom's sorority sister's guest rooms in D.C. like, hmm, I probably need a job. Like every, <laughs> every other week, my dad would call and be like, do you have a job yet? And I'm like... Technically, no, Daddy, but I was still on television. So that's actually how I ended up getting a, a contract with CNN because I realized I was still doing TV, but other people were going to get paid. And so throughout the since 2016, I um, have not only been a commentator, but I've I was pushed into being an entrepreneur and doing my own consulting thing because I had no job, right? So <laughs> I got the CNN thing, and then I went and I worked with a group called Priorities USA, and I just continued to build relationships with legislators. I did, I um, advised Justin Fairfax's lieutenant, gov lieutenant governor campaign in Virginia, which who, Justin Fairfax, whole another story, right? But I knew him really well, advised his campaign, helped get him elected, and Mm. Didn't have anything to do with that other stuff in Virginia. But, I mean, I've been doing things since then. And I think um, my television commentary uh, also introduced me to a lot of different right. people. So I get calls from just, like, lots of random people that I would have that I probably wouldn't be speaking to if I would, if they didn't see me on TV on a regular basis. And so I think that helped put me, and I've been acting really more so as a strategist from 20, since 2017. So I'd still do comms work, obviously, but you know I do a lot of advising, some political stuff. And um, as I was thinking about the campaign trail, you know, I'm a campaign staffer. I've never worked on the Hill. Uh, when I did the trade stuff, I was working Hill adjacent. I, I do campaigns, that's what I do. And I was just thinking like, do I want to sit out one of the most consequential elections of my lifetime? When they write the history books, do I want to say that I was on the sideline, you know, pontificating and being a pundit about what other people are actually doing? Or do I want to be able to on say- On an election night panel or something. On an election night right. panel. Like, right. do I want to say I was on the panel or election night? Or do I want to say <laughs> I was the party. in the room, at the, at, the, at the party, in the back room, like- Chugging out the numbers, okay, and 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 watching all the hard work that you know me and my colleagues have done culminate to this moment to see if we can beat the brakes off the current president of the United States of America and win the White House back. I want to be in the room. That's what I started thinking about. I wanted to be in the room and there were, and I think about being effective, right? And thank you. I think about, I just lost my shoe for folks listening. <laughs> I think about wanting to be effective and wanting to be in the room. And I just really felt like, um, while I, I appreciated, I, I'm so appreciative to CNN for um, valuing my voice and I hope when it's all said and done, if I ever want to come back, they'll let me back, and I think so. I just feel like I wanted to do the work and get my hands dirty, and I talk so much about doing the work that I didn't really feel like I was doing the work if I set out this election cycle. Um, so I think I told some people that I would be like interested in going back on the campaign trail, and then people started hearing, <laughs> and then they all chased me. Um, but I, I was very, I was, I was happy to sit down, um, you know, with Vice President Biden, and I just, I really like him. I like him. I like Dr. Biden, um, and I think he has a real shot. And as I thought about where I wanted to go this cycle, because to be frank, I have personal relationships with a number of the people right. running for president. Like if anybody saw my like Twitter feed, I was with Elizabeth Corey, Warren like three weeks ago. I was I, Cory Booker in the TSA line, right? TSA line, like yesterday, right? Um, and everybody was kind of like, oh, they're speaking. Yeah, <laughs> I know Cory Booker. He's my friend. 
Um, so I have personal relationships with folks. And so it's, 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 it, one could argue that I had some options, but I thought about where I could really be effective, um, where I could really be helpful and where my voice would be valued and like where I fit in a number of the campaigns. And I think I found a good fit with Vice President Biden's campaign. Yeah. So speaking about sort of the 2020 election cycle, you kind of just touched on this, but I think it's really valuable to sort of talk about, um, you know, so as a professional political strategist, uh, you're kind of also going through the process of picking a candidate uh, for this next cycle. So how do you balance your professional opportunities and, you know, the need to like to find someone to work for to get your hands or like get your skin in the game here on this um, campaign? with your personal convictions and with finding someone who you feel like you really you vibe with. Exactly. I mean, that's the balance, right? You know, I think people that don't, quote unquote, do politics every day, I call them professional politicos, right? Like, I consider myself a professional politico. You all, too, would be professional politicos. Like, you are very plugged in. You are high-level information voters, right? Like, you you probably know more about, you know, what happened today than um, like the people sometimes work on the Hill because you're watching more television, you're consuming more content and as a as like a this is just like if I were like a finance person or a banker or a marketing professional thinking about what company I'm going to go work for sometimes people see like oh you're going to go work for so and so how could well first of all this is like my job exactly yeah like <laughs> this is how I pay my bills for a living so um yeah we have to pay our bills like I have to this is how I make a this is how I make a living. You know, just how like the finance people decide what companies are gonna go to. Operatives like myself across the country right now are making pr- professional decisions about how they're going to pay their bills, but also like save the save our republic. Right. <laughs> so I'm curious about something you brought up. You said, you know, CNN asked you to come. Now you're you're leaving for pres- Vice President Biden's campaign. You could come back at any time. I'm curious if you think there's kind of a revolving door with the media punditry or something yeah, like that. A revolving door. And what you know, come and right, and come coming in, you know, with fresh eyes as you did in 2015 like how did that first strike you are you kind of used to it now what do you do you think that's a positive thing yeah you know so one i think that there's something to be said about the and people make this commentary this comment all the time right that you know the folks that are that are Pun, punditing and pontificating on these panels in the news are often people that are not necessarily reflective of the depth and breadth of America. That like I was the youngest pundit on cable news. Like right now, I don't know who the the youngest person that 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 has a contract would be. Bakari Sellers. Bakari's a little older than me. He's a CNN political commentator as well. Former state rep in South Carolina. Ran for lieutenant governor in South Carolina. And I think Bakari's like 33, 34. And so right now, there are people sitting on panels. They're going to be talking about millennials. And there's not a millennial that's on contract with, well, Bakari is the only millennial on contract from any of the networks. MSNBC, Fox, CNN, problematic. Oh, I take that back. Fox has uh, Gianno Caldwell, Caldwell, who was a young Republican um, operative, and he's a millennial. But wow, that should be scary, right? And so I think part of that is because young people, people of color, so on and so forth, we don't necessarily get the jobs in the campaign world. Like, we have to, we're not getting the jobs that lead to the cable news sit-downs. I mean, to be frank, I met with a lot of networks when I first left um, the, when I, after convention, and there were, not CNN, but like another network literally sat in a room with me and said, well, well, what do you bring to the table? I'm sorry. If I was 32 years old, my name was Joe, and I was white, you would just be giving me a contract because I was a, I was a national press secretary for somebody that almost beat Hillary Clinton. Like, are you asking me this question, right? And so there's something to be said about the need to fight for space for young people, for people of color, 
um, to be represented on those panels. So there is a revolving door. I am hope. I am very hopeful with this cycle, though, because there are a number of firsts happening in terms of campaign staffing uh, on these presidential campaigns. And so you've got like the the uh, Julian Castro's campaign manager is a young um, African American woman named Maya Rupert. You have uh, Kamala Harris's campaign manager, who is a young Latino guy um, named Juan Rodriguez. Kamala Harris has hired a number of women of color in the high-ranking positions. Uh, uh, Cory Booker has hired a number of young men and women of color. And so now my hope is that when this campaign cycle is over, um, and not even the whole cycle, when you know the, pri- the Democratic primary is done, and people are looking because they will staff up, the panels will get bigger. Y'all have seen them. The panels get bigger they in get the general big. election, yeah. okay? <laughs> um, I'm hoping that those panels, that they are sourcing from these folks in these various campaigns, um, that they are pulling in people that they have not seen before. There are some really great people that work for Stacey Abrams that have insight to, to give. There are folks that... I, I, there, there, there's no excuse at this point on why um, the same folks that have always sat there are sitting in the seats on cable news. And there's something to be said about institutional knowledge, but there's also something to be said about making sure you're feeding in a pipeline of new young voices, reporters included. Like, love Brian Williams, okay? I love Eugene Robinson, but I also like seeing a Steed Herndon on from the New York Times on the panels. I like seeing uh, Lexi from Axios on these panels on MSNBC sometimes. So it is, I love seeing um, Yamish uh, Alcinador, who used to be at the New York Times, now she's at PBS NewsHour. I love seeing her on. And it is really important that these bookers recognize that uh, politi- that you cannot divorce race and class from the political conversation conversation, none of this happens in a vacuum. And if you are not putting people on the panels that, again, have institutional knowledge, but are also like on the ground, actually talk to real people, not just look on Twitter and get their commentary from Twitter. Like if you're putting those real people on the panels, you get a better, more insightful, more authentic and actually on the nose conversation. So I know your new position on um, Vice President Biden's campaign was announced really recently, but I know uh, we're both really curious to know what being a senior advisor <laughs> entails, and sort of also just going off of what I'm you're, on my phone all the time. <laughs> just what you people that can't see, I'm literally on my phone right now. Like, I'm on my phone all the time. Like, did you, what about this? Right now? <laughs> yeah, but just sort of incorporating. Um, you know, you've established yourself as an activist and a pundit and someone who is engaging in a lot of these conversations, even on. Twitter and really establishing yourself across different mediums as you know this generation really demands. And so I think we're curious to know what being a senior advisor entails or what what that experience has been like for you. Well, um, eight days in on the senior advisor tip. And I mean, you know, campaigns even campaigns in their beginning, I think a lot of cam- campaigns are always like a they're like a startup in my opinion. I've worked a lot of campaigns. At this point, I think I've worked 18 or 19 campaigns everywhere from mayoral races up to presidentials and in the beginning every campaign is like a startup now some campaigns sometimes stay a startup okay but every campaign is like a startup and so uh, in the early on in the senior advisor role I think everybody is just picking up 
whatever they filling in the gaps wherever they can. So um, I do a little my my advising work is a little bit comms and then majority political. So I am talking to to folks. I'm helping set up processes. Sometimes I travel um, with the former vice president. I'm traveling with him to South Carolina this weekend. Um, the trip that he's going on. So it's just it 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 will become more defined as we go on. But right now that is my role. I think I was on TV a little bit for him um, a couple days ago early on because I don't it would be unrealistic for me to be like I'm not going on right. any television and everybody's asking so I went on TV uh, but yeah it is like getting processes put in place right now because uh, our campaign we are we, we're in it to win it and so we are in for the long haul not just through the the primary but through the general election and so there are processes that have to be set up there is more hiring to be done we need office spaces and like assistance and like uh did is your is your email secure uh, honestly because given what happened in 2016 campaigns across the board are very intent on making sure everyone's emails their phones their social media accounts the personal emails that they have are secure and like that's a whole process so those are some of the things that like i do right now and then just like picking up picking up the slack wherever <laughs> i can and aside from obviously former vice president biden uh like getting him to win uh what's your biggest personal goal for this campaign or what what you hope to accomplish oh you know I think what I hope to accomplish is to you know any um, so when you are going to work on a campaign you are I think it's important that folks go in there with their good with their personal goals like you want to learn something so anytime I go anywhere to work anywhere like I always want to learn from the people that I'm working around because although like I've had these really great jobs I'm still, I'm still a young person <laughs> and I'm working with folks right now and even in previous places and spaces that have done so much much. And so there's a wealth of knowledge to learn there just from getting to know folks. And so when I get, to, I would hope to get to know uh, my colleagues better and to learn from their professional experiences. But at the end of the day, when you are working a campaign, you are there to, to effectively um, and holistically serve your principal. And my principal is Vice President Biden. And so I, the measure of me being effective, the measure of me doing a good job is, is, is serving him well, is giving him, giving him accurate, honest, and authentic feedback. And um, as long as I do that, I feel like I'm doing a good job. And the moment for anyone that you feel is that any senior advisor, any spokesperson, that you feel you can't give your principal accurate, honest, authentic feedback, that you cannot go out there and, and, and toe the team line, it's time for you to go. It really is. Like, that's the and for, You know, frankly, we see a lot what's happening in the administration. There are people that currently work in this administration that currently work for in on the political side for the current president of the United States, and they do not believe what they're saying. They are not honestly, accurately, and authentically serving their principle. And, you know, there are people that are saying, I'm here to save democracy. No, 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 no. I, I don't I don't believe that. I believe that when you sign up to work for somebody, there is, a degree, there is something about being loyal to the person that you're working for. And if you feel like you can't be a team player, it's time to go. Now, I don't understand how anybody's a team player for the current president of the United States, mm -hmm. but, you know, I don't know. I don't work there. I'm just saying. So, unfortunately, we only have time for one more question, uh, but it's a question we ask all of our guests. Um, what's your personal definition of success, and what advice would you give to students or any listeners um, defining success for themselves? You know, when I was um, like 16, I had business cards. 
It's crazy. I was I would go to a lot of events and I would see people with business cards and I was like, I need a business card. And my business card used to say, uh, it was my name, my email, my phone number, and it said specializing in results. <laughs> that is my like that was my like personal profe- that was my per- per- personal professional goal. Like my, my professionally I specialize in results. And people would say, What kind of results? I'm like, whatever results you need. And as I like grew up in my professional life, I always thought about um, being effective. And so my definition of success like in my life in general is I want to enact positive change in my local and national communities. And anything that I'm doing, um, I need to be able to say that that is what I'm doing every day, enacting positive change in my local and national communities. And if I get to get up every day and do some version of that, I am, in fact, being successful. If I'm doing that and it challenges me, I'm being successful. So I think you got to get a you got to get a personal mantra. OK. And like how like what is the barometer of how you're doing? Because we got sometimes we can get complacent. So uh, I think I'm doing a good job in that area. I felt a little complacent a couple months ago. It's like I get it. I, I got to get on the campaign trail. I'm on the trail now. I think I'm okay. Check back in with me a year and a year and a half from now. So unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, but thank you so much, Simone, for joining us, and to all our listeners, remember to stay hungry. Mm, thank you.